hey, I'm so glad you're here today. And you didn't have to have, to have an excuse for not coming, right? Because here you are, because we're talking about excuses. You know, today, right after this service, we're going to have a special event. Maybe you noticed some new things on the lawn when you parked today. From 1130 to 1:30, we're all kinds of bouncy houses and uh, spl splash pads and, and all kinds of stuff like that. You know, easy for me to say, right? Anyway, that's going on. And then they'll also have food trucks. So we hope all of you will come. Will all of you come? Yeah. Did you hear the announcement? Yeah. If you didn't hear the announcement, what's your excuse? Because yeah. I was talking here. Hello. Okay, so stick around and do that, okay? And, you know, I've noticed something in here. I've just got to mention it. We want to welcome those worshiping with us online as well. And I've noticed that a lot of people sit over on this side over here against the wall, not as many on this side over here, but it surprises me. You know why? Well, I'm glad you asked. I'm going to tell you because when the service is over and you go to the bouncy houses, if you're sitting over here, you can get there quicker. There's a door right there. Do you not notice this? Also, the restrooms are on this side of the room, but somehow the, you're just in your mind. You're going, I'm going to the left. I'm going to the left. I'm going to the left. That's the way I'm coming in, right? So look, I shared that with you. Anybody want to swap now? Anything? Okay, good. We're good. All right, there you go. So, you know, we've talked about excuses and we've said some things in life are good. You need to hang around and keep those. You need to have good friends and good habits. Other things in life are not good. You need to get rid of those like excuses because excuses are really not real, are they? They're false barriers. We'll say, well, I can't do that because of this. It looks like a real reason. It looks like a real obstacle. We want to have a real reason. We try to come up with things that make sense, but really it's not a real reason at all. Now, there's a fine line between a reason and an excuse. Do you know how you can tell the difference? If somebody's talking to you and they give you their reason for not being able to do something, you can spot it right away. You're either going to say, okay, that's a legitimate reason, or you're going to walk away saying, no, that's just an excuse. They're just making an excuse. We don't always see it in ourselves, but we see it in other people as well. And so an excuse can become Lord in our life if we're not careful. An excuse can become our king. It can become our master and our boss, and we just keep making those excuses. Have you ever known anybody that has excuses and they just keep using the same old excuses all the time, but they're really not very good excuses at all and you want to say to them you know you could be free of this you could shift gears you could change things could be better but somehow they struggle with that now the book of hebrews the author of the book of hebrews in the new testament he's writing to people who are new jewish christians but they're going through persecution and they're struggling. And he's trying to help them not give up their faith. He's trying to help them not just come up with some excuse to quit following Jesus. He said, I know that you've got reasons and excuses you're manufacturing. He says, but there he says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. In other words, it's that sin that's weighing us down. And sometimes we make excuses for the sin in our lives. And if we keep doing that, we won't ever deal with it. And what he's trying to teach us is we need to get rid of it. An excuse is really just a lie that we tell ourselves about ourselves. Now listen, do you ever lie to yourself? 
Yes, you do. You lie to yourself. Because here's what we say. You say to yourself, I am losing weight. Have you ever said that? And then you get on the scale and you look, and nay, nay, you're not losing weight. Okay? But you, you walk around in the world saying to yourself, I am losing weight. But no, you're really not. Now, look, I want you to hang in there because if you need to lose weight, I want you to do that. Because as a person who's struggled with that in my life, gone up and down all my life, you know, I want us to all be successful, right? Amen? I appreciate that support. Thank you so much for that. So, he says, and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for ourselves. In other words, for us. So, what he wants us to do, don't give up. If you're trying, if there's something you're trying to accomplish, keep working at it. It'll come together. People who make excuses rarely make a difference. Wouldn't you agree? And you know, if you look at people and, and you study people over time in history, and you see the people who made the biggest changes and had the biggest influence and really, you know, blessed everybody else, if you look at their lives, a lot of them had a lot of heartache and they had a lot of challenges. And you think to yourself, I always knew this about this person, but I didn't know all this other stuff was going on while they were accomplishing what they did. That's a miracle. Isn't that amazing? And it's through the tough times that they got stronger, but they also depended on God more, right? And so that's what helped them. Excuses are often selfishness disguised as humility. And so we make an excuse, but it's really not real. So we need to just shut down the excuse factory. Turn to the person next to you and say, no more excuses. No more excuses, okay? All right, we're just going to let those go. Those are some things that we don't need to carry with us. We need to move beyond that. Now, athletics is always a topic of conversation, and it was when this was written. When this scripture was written, athletics was a big part of what was going on in that day. In fact, the greatest part of athletics in that day was the race. And they built these big coliseums, and they would seat 50,000 people even back then. Now, I wonder what they think about our coliseums and stadiums now, because, you know, we got double that, right? But you know what? It was a big deal back then, and people would commit their lives, and they would dedicate themselves, and they would run races. And, you know, it's that time of the year for football. Have you noticed? You know, I don't know if you noticed that football is being played now, but Laura mentioned it to me just recently when we had Labor Day weekend came up. Hey, I think there's football. Really? This weekend it's coming? And so, you know, we celebrate that. High schools, you know, they're playing, they're practicing. And then, but the most important race that you and I are going to run is the one that starts where you're sitting and where I'm standing, and it's running the race of Christianity. It's looking to Jesus, keeping our eyes focused on him, accomplishing what he's calling us to do, and doing that and making a difference. And so there's an analogy here that the writer uses that we're going to walk through together in our outline. First, we learn a good runner runs surrounded by witnesses. Now, I want you to think about your life. 
And I want you to think about from the time you were growing up and the friends that you had and how those friends made a difference for you. And maybe they encouraged you and maybe they helped you in school. And maybe if you played ball with them, they helped you in sports. And you always felt like your team had a chance if they were there. And they were just those kinds of people that you wanted to be around, right? You were so grateful for them. I've thought about people in my ministry over the years, people in the churches that I've served, lay people who really were just so strong and such a blessing. I've thought about bosses that I've had, district superintendents who were so good to me and taught me so much, and they were such a blessing to me, and it was so wonderful to have them. Well, you need those people, and you know, I think about the people who've gone to heaven, and I think about them, and I see them peering over the balcony of heaven, and they're watching us, and, and they're cheering us on. And we've picked up where they left off, and they can't be here anymore. But they want to see us continue to be faithful and to persevere and to accomplish God's will in our lives. And so it's wonderful. And one of the great things is when you've got a home field advantage, then you got the crowd cheering for you, right? And they pump you up, and you have all this adrenaline, and it makes you really work and, and work harder and perform greater. If you're in the SEC today, they say that the home field advantage usually is worth at least three points, and teams don't lose as many games at home. Some pro teams don't even lose at home. They always win at home. In Hebrews, we have what we call the Hebrews Hall of Fame, the Heroes Hall of Fame. You ever read the 11th chapter of Hebrews? I mean, just sit down and read that sometimes. Some great people, uh, people of God who God used in such a powerful way. And it's that crowd of witnesses who have gone before us, cheering us on, and those around us. And, and we're just so grateful for that. In the New Testament now, I want you to notice something. You ought to write this down. The word saint is never singular in the New Testament. It's always plural because God created the body of Christ to come together. And there's a strength in bunches. And we can do together what we cannot do by ourselves. And so you have to pardon my grammar, my English, but there ain't no saint in the New Testament, okay? And there ain't no saint in the world today because it's a collective group of the body of Christ where people care for one another. That's what makes all the difference. Now, what Satan likes to do is he likes to get you and me isolated from those saints around us. He likes to get us because if he can beat us one-on-one -on -one and he can do it, he's going to do it every time. He doesn't want to take us on with the saints around us. He wants to beat us. He's had thousands of years of experience. If he can ever get you by yourself feeling sorry for yourself, thinking to yourself, I can't do it, I can't accomplish it, it doesn't matter, nobody cares, then he can beat us every time. But do you know what Satan's afraid of? He's afraid of a group of witnesses, a group of Christians, a Bible study group, a Sunday school class group, a church fellowship. He's afraid of that crowd of witnesses who will be faithful to God. They surround each other with people who are loved, and they love one another. And Christians receive power together when we encourage one another. You see, iron sharpens iron, and it makes a big difference, and you're a blessing to others. 
Now, when I was growing up, I was one of the youngest guys on my street. We had a bunch of boys that grew up on my street and in my neighborhood. Some of those boys, they were a little bit older. They, they would kind of pick on you, you know, if you were younger. I was always so fast, I could just run away pretty much. But, you know, there was one guy I looked up to. And, and I was in the fifth grade, and he was in the eighth grade. I mean, he was, man, he was up there. He's back grown, eighth grade, right? And his name was Barry Sears, and he lived two doors down from us. And he was older than anybody else on the street. And if I was with Barry Sears, nobody messed with me because he was that. I mean, he was an eighth grader. Hey, he's an eighth grader. We don't mess with him. You know, years later, I laughed about that. I went back to, to my hometown there, and I went to visit, and I went back to his house, and he was still there. And I went to the door, and I rang the doorbell. He came to the door. You know what he said? He said, wow, you've really grown. Because <laughs> I was so much taller than him. I thought about Big Barry Sears is the guy who's going to save me, this little bitty guy now. And here I am so much bigger than him. How funny that is. But, you know, if you've got that group of friends with you, you know, you can go anywhere. Well, you know what the number one thing people are looking for when they go to a church today is? It's not how good the music is, although we have great music. It's not how beautiful the building or the location or the visibility or the preachers that are on staff, the associate ministers who do such a good job preaching here, or the staff or even the lay leadership. But one thing they want to know, is this a friendly church? People tell me all the time, I like that church because you all are friendly. And, you know, I appreciate that. I, you know, I've gone, most of my ministry, I've tried to share hospitality. I've tried to speak to people, make them feel welcome, teach them how to do that. It just comes naturally to me. And, you know, when you do that, when you step out of your little circle and you make somebody feel welcome, it makes a big difference because it's a huge thing for a first-time visitor, guest, a person coming They've never been before. They don't know anybody. I mean, they're scared to come, but they come, and if you make them feel welcome, they go, well, these people care about me. I'll come back. Have you ever been to any of those snooty churches? You go to some of those churches, and those people, I mean, if you held them at gunpoint, they wouldn't speak to you. They, they can't smile. They can't talk. They don't even look your direction. They're just very arrogant. They're always looking up, you know. Well, man, I don't want to be in a church like that. Do you? I want to be around people who care about me. Now, in the Southern Baptist Convention, they say the number one thing that people are looking for when they go to church is fellowship. I remember not that many months ago, there's a group of ladies, and they all sit together, many of them widows, and they sit together at the 9 o'clock service. And this lady came in, and she had just moved here from Birmingham, and she was walking in the door, and I just thought to myself, she needs to meet these ladies. I said, how are you doing? She said, tell me your name. She told me where she was from. She lived up there not far from where our house is in Birmingham. We talked about that. I said, come on up here. <clears throat> I said, you need to meet these girls right here. And there they were sitting there. And, you know, she sat down by them, and she never has left. She still sits with them every Sunday. There's just a big, long group of them. If some of them are gone, I'll say, where's your delegation today? They're not here, you know. She did recently join the choir. She had to go up and sit in the choir, but she still comes back when she comes down. She goes and sits with those folks. You know, you got a niche. you got a place where you feel at home. Let me ask you a question. Who's here today because you made them feel welcome? Who's here today because you welcomed them? Who's here today or next week 
because you're going to reach out to them and welcome them and invite them to come and be a part of a warm fellowship. If they can come and be surrounded by a great crowd of witnesses, what a blessing it is. The second thing we see is a good runner runs without his weights. Now, back when I was in high school, we played football, and, you know, the coach wanted us to, to, wanted me to be on track and several of us to be on track, and they used to get us to put weights around our legs and run. You ever run with those weights? I mean, they're heavy, and they help you, and when you're training, it's great to build you up. Well, then you take the weights off. You feel like you're flying. You feel like you can do anything then, and you can move so much faster because those weights hold you back. Well, sin is like those weights. And when you and I have sin in our lives, it holds us back. And it keeps us from accomplishing everything God wants us to accomplish. Wouldn't you rather put that down and get rid of it? I remember years ago, I went to the doctor, and he wanted me to lose some weight, and he handed me some weight. He said, here, I want you to carry that around. And he took me from one office to another, and I was carrying this weight around with me. Dummy me, I just did what he said. He said, are you tired of carrying that around with you? I said, yeah, I am. He said, why don't you put it down? I said, I think I will. He said, that's what will happen if you lose that weight I'm talking to you about. And I said, well, thanks for that. I'm not coming back here anymore. <laughs> but I did, and I lost the weight, okay? Now, here's the thing. Sin will trip you up. Sin will cling to you. Sin will hold you back. In Romans, it says, for the wages of sin is death. That's pretty permanent, isn't it? You don't want to have sin because it's just going to kill you. So get rid of the envy and the grudges and the resentment and the unconfessed things in your mind that you need to get rid of. Try to get past that because it'll trip you up and hold you back every time. First John says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now, let me ask you a question. Does God know your sins? Is there anything you're keeping from God? Then why do you hesitate to tell him about them? If he already knows, why don't you just talk to him, confess it, get rid of it, put it down, let it go. It's just a weight that you're carrying around. The psalmist David says this, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. I mean, he's just going to take those sins and they're going to be gone and we don't have to carry them anymore. You know, I'll challenge anybody here to run the 100-yard dash with me if you'll wear leg weights and I can beat you. If you'll tie your legs together, it'll help me too. But anyway, you can't beat Satan one-on-one. -on -one. He'll beat us every time. But, you know, you get around a group of fellowship and a crowd of witnesses, and he's going to run. Early in my ministry, a woman came to me, and she shared something with me that really rocked me. She was married. And she was having an affair with a married man. And she came in, and she had just turned white. She said, I just found out. Nobody knows this except me, she said, her, herself. And then this guy she was having an affair with, the two of them, and now me and the Lord. And she said, he was at work today. And while he was at work, he dropped dead of a heart attack. And that could have happened when I was with him. She said, nobody knows about it, but I can't live with the sin in my life. She said, I got to confess it. I got to tell somebody, and I got to ask for God's forgiveness. 
And man, she wanted to get things right in her life. And she just put down the weight of sin and she felt the burden lifted from her. And now she's able to move forward in her life and continue on and be the person she needs to be in her family and in her marriage and for her children and her husband. And, and she was so grateful for that. And then a good runner runs with perseverance. A good runner has to have perseverance. Some translations say patience or persistence, but you get the idea. You've got to run in such a way that you finish the race. Have you ever seen a Christian when they first get saved? They go out and they want everybody to get saved right away, don't they? And they're just sharing their faith and they're setting the woods on fire. But if they're not careful, what will happen is if they don't pace themselves, they'll burn out. And have you seen people do that? They get really on fire for God. Years go by, and then later on, it's been tragic for me to watch. Some people go into the ministry, and, you know, we're all young together, and you think, well, they're going to just do great. And then somewhere along the line, they just lose it, and they just walk away from God, and they don't follow him anymore. They started out running, and I mean, they were setting the woods on fire, but they're not here anymore. Some people join the church, and they take vows, and they say, hey, I'm going to be faithful to the church for a year. I'm making a commitment for a year. Here's what I'm going to do. And then for whatever reason, they just fall away, and you don't see them anymore. Some people volunteer. I'll do this for a year, and they do it, and then they don't do it, and then you don't see them. And what happens is people get embarrassed by their failures, and then they won't come back because they feel like, well, people will judge me and, and, you know, they won't let me back in. They won't accept me. One time I had this family and they would come to church and they came very faithfully and then they just kind of stopped coming. And one Sunday afternoon, I was going in the grocery store and as I was walking through the parking lot, there they were. They were right out there. They had their boat hooked up to their truck and they had their swimsuits on, and they both looked like lobsters because they'd gotten sunburned, and they were still, still dripping wet, you know? And it was kind of hard for them to cover up the fact they'd been at the, on the water all day long. And they saw me coming and said, uh-oh, uh-oh, here he comes. And, you know, people do this with preachers. I don't know if you know this or not, but they start giving you excuses. They start, let me tell you what happened. Here's, here's why I wasn't there. And we had company, and got it, you know, and I'm going, uh-huh, yeah, okay, you know. And it's like God doesn't know unless the preacher knows now the preacher knows God knows I'm in trouble I don't know but you know what they said they, they I talked to them I visited with them and those people came back to church and they came back you know what they said to me they said you know whether we were there or not you always treated us the same and they wanted to come back. hey listen I want them to come back. If you're listening to me today and you had not been here, hey, come back. I want to see you. This week, I just sent a little note to one of the folks in the church, and I just told them, I, I preached a sermon a couple of weeks ago. I thought of it. Hey, here's the sermon. I sent it, and you know, they showed up today and came and spoke to me. They just need a little encouragement. Some people are traveling. I know that. Some people are out of town. I told them at the first service, I said, if you go to contemporary and you think people are going to notice you when you come back, it's so dark they can't see you. Just come on in. It's it doesn't matter. Just find a place. Act like you've been there all along. You got season tickets. Come on in. It'll be great. 
Now, when I was in high school, I ran the 100-yard dash. And believe it or not, there was a time when I could move rapidly on purpose. And so they would make me race the 100-yard dash until one time I was in Manchester, Tennessee. And the coach came up to me. He said, the guy who runs the distance race just pulled a muscle, and he can't run the distance race. You're going to have to run it. I said, Coach, I don't know how to run the distance race. All I know how to do is take off and run the 100-yard dash. I don't. He said, just pace yourself. I don't know how to do it. He said, you got to do it. There's nobody else here to do it. So I said, fine, great. And so I'm up there, and I'm going to race. And now I'm going to make an embarrassing situation for myself. And there's this girl in the crowd that I'd been out on a date with, okay? One or two, maybe, maybe two, maybe just one. There weren't a lot, but there were some, okay? And she dumped me pretty quick and went back to her old boyfriend, who was a great athlete, by the way, but I'm not bitter, okay? So I had to go out of town to get a date, right? And here I am, and she's up there in the crowd. Oh, great. Oh, great. I get to embarrass myself in front of all these people and her. And so, four laps around the oval. I take off, and I take off like a racehorse, man. I'm flying, and I'm going, you got to pull it back. Pull it back. You're never going to. The second time around, people are catching up with me. The third time around, I can't even see them. They're so far ahead of me now. The fourth time around, I'm wondering, because people have left the event. They've gone home. There's nobody else left there at this point. If, they, if it had been night, they would have turned the lights out. It would have been over. I would have just been out there going, where's the finish line? I've got to finish right? And I learned to pace myself. If you're going to run the race of life as a Christian, you got to pace yourself. You got to do it at a pace that you can make it. Uh, here's what he says in Timothy. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. That's what we want to be saying when it's all over. That's our goal is to get there. And we got to have that Greek word, perseverance. That's what he's talking about here. And so people, they see that and that perseverance gets them through. Now the last thing, the fourth thing, a good runner runs with his eyes on Jesus. You put your eyes on Jesus, you focus on what he's calling you to do. You stay focused on that and you don't turn the one way or the other. When I was racing, that's what the coach told us to do. He said, you focus up there on the finish line. You don't look left. You don't look right. You just keep running. And so you don't hot dog to the crowd. Hey, here I am. Watch me win, right? No, you're focused when you do that. Now, on March the 6th, 1987, there was a guy named Emin Coglin, and he was the Irish world record holder at the 1,500-meter race. He was running a qualifying heat in Indianapolis. With two laps left, he tripped and fell, but he got up and he caught the other runners. With only 20 yards left in the race, he was in third place, and that was good enough for him to qualify to be in the meet. But he made a mistake. Instead of focusing on the finish line, he looked over his shoulder to the left to see if anybody was gaining on him. And when there was nobody there, he let up. And the guy over the right shoulder passed him right before he got there. All the effort that he put into his comeback was worthless because he didn't finish the race. You got to keep your eyes on the finish line, on Jesus. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, the world's always trying to get you to look at their illusions. They're always trying to get you to take your eyes off of Jesus. There's something new and improved. There's something that everybody's talking about. There's something that really sparkles, and it looks good to us. 
But you know, we can't do that because we got to have blinders on. We got to be focused to accomplish what he wants us to. Peter walked on the water. What a miraculous thing. He got out of the boat and he walked on the water. But when he took his eyes off Jesus, what happened? Then he began to sink, didn't he? You can't walk on the water with one foot in the boat. You've got to get out and put everything into it, and you've got to focus in the right way so that you won't fail. If we take our eyes off Jesus, he's our source. He's the only one who can help us, and we'll begin to succumb to the things around us. There was an old missionary couple who'd been in Africa all of their ministry, and they came back to the States, and they didn't have a pension. They didn't have much to show for all those years of faithful service to God. They took them on by boat, and they were coming into New York City. They happened to book a ship that had the President of the United States, Teddy Roosevelt, was on the ship. He had been in Africa. He had been doing some great game hunting just on holiday there, and nobody really paid any attention to this poor missionary couple because the President was there, and everybody was trying to catch a glimpse of him. As they moved across the ocean, this old missionary looked at his wife and he said, something's wrong. Why should we have given our lives in faithful service to God in Africa all these many years and nobody will even be at the docks to welcome us when we come home? But here the president comes back and everybody, he's just on holiday. They're all going to be there and make a big deal out of him. His wife said, honey, you shouldn't feel that way. He said, I can't help it. It just doesn't seem right. When the ship docked in New York City, there was a band waiting for the president. The mayor and all the dignitaries were there. All the people were waiting for the president's arrival. Nobody even noticed this poor little missionary couple get off the boat. As they slipped off the ship, they went to the east side and found a cheap flat in New York City where they might make a home. And the next day, they wondered, where will we go to work? What can we do to support ourselves? We don't have anything. And the preacher just began to say, you know, I don't think God has treated us fairly. And the wife said, you know what you need to do? You need to go in the back room and get on your knees. And you need to pray about that, and you need to talk to the Lord. And so he did that. In a little while, he came out, and everything about him had changed. She said, what happened? He said, well, the Lord settled it to, with me. He said, I told him how bitter I was and how I was feeling sorry for myself and how I just didn't think it was fair that the president received all of this and we won't receive anything. When I finished talking, he said, I felt like God put his arm around my shoulder and said, whispered, but you're not home yet. You know, all of us who are followers, we'll receive a reward. The Bible tells us that. It may not be in this life, but I promise you, it'll be in the next, and it'll be greater than anything we can imagine. We just can't give up. We got to keep going. We got to persevere. We got to finish the race. Paul said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I pray that we all will be able to say that. Father, help us to say what Paul said when it's all done. 
Help us to be successful in your eyes. That's all that's important. And we celebrate that privilege and thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children said,